0: Hey, welcome back to the pod crashed. This week, we're telling the story of Eastern Airlines flight 980. Next week, we are posting our collaboration with bath and body parts. Be sure to check them out ahead of time. Uh, The episode that we're posting is an episode that we made together. Uh, it is an aviation related disaster and it does have a true crime element. Uh we're going to be posting the same episode um on our show and on theirs, so be sure to uh check them out. Be sure to tune in next week. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Good I'm I'm pretty excited about this story. Um, this is one that I've it's another one of those ones that I've been like trying to figure out how to tell it. So I'm, I'm yeah pretty excited. I I we'll see if I figured it out. I guess. Awesome. Um,
1: yeah. Let's
0: S- do it. So uh, we're going back to January first, nineteen eighty five. And right. uh, you know what that means?
1: Smoking on planes.
0: Smoking on planes. We're doing. Uh, Eastern Airlines Flight 980. Uh, and so Eastern Airlines, um, another airline that doesn't exist anymore, used to be a major East Coast uh, American airline. Um, and they did a lot of flights, kind of actually, honestly, kind of the same routes that uh, JetBlue does now. So, a lot of routes along, like, I know obviously JetBlue does uh, like the West Coast of America, but a lot of the uh, kind of Central American uh, routes between yeah. Miami. So, uh, Eastern Airlines, uh, fl- uh, we're flying in a 727 uh, Boeing plane. It's like 130 people, but we've only got 29 people on board today. Wow. On this, on That's this tiny. Trip tiny nobody's on the plane and of those yeah. people only 19 of them are passengers so we've got 19 wow. passengers seven flight attendants three pilots this is some Holy crap. some golden age type of numbers here yes um, yeah. very nice right um and the route we're doing is one of those like puddle jump routes so it's going to go from ascension paraguay to la paz bolivia to Guayaquil, Ecuador to Miami, America, <laughs> Florida, whatever you want to say. <laughs> and uh so we've got, you know, a, a glorious uh, you know, older aircraft. So we've got uh Captain Larry, first officer Ken, and flight engineer Mark. Um the only thing that's like a little bit noteworthy, I guess, about the the pilots, Ken and Mark, uh were both uh, military men. And Larry, who is the captain of the flight, is, uh, like an experienced commercial pilot. He's obviously, you know, he's the captain, but this is actually the only the second time he's ever going to be landing at La Paz airport in Bolivia. Um, so if you have your little mental map in your mind, uh, Bolivia is a mountainous nation and La Paz is a, uh, Well, it's in the mountains, right? Like it's it's right. The it's the Al Alto Airport, and the airport itself is at thirteen thousand three hundred and twenty-five feet. Oh my gosh, it is so high. So so we talk about that like ten thousand foot thing, right? We're at ten thousand feet in altitude. The air is thin. You have to have a pressurized cabin. You're going to start to get confused. They're landing somewhere. 3000 feet above that line. So it's it's crazy, right? The FAA, actually the rule with the FAA is that the pilots have to, so the plane depressurizes once they land. And so the pilots are required by the FAA to wear their oxygen masks from landing to the gate to keep them from getting disoriented. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. The air is super thin, so the runway is, like, very, very, very long because there's not as much resistance in the air. It's harder to break. It's harder to, to you know, it's just a more challenging flight because the air is so thin. And it's, my guys, it's, it's Bolivia in 1985. They don't have right. radar. They don't have radar. We talk about ILS systems. They literally don't have radar and i don't even know how effective radar is in the mountains like i'm truly ignorant to that i don't know how effective radar even can be in the mountains i know that cell phones don't work and that feels relevant to me somehow i don't know how (laughs) these things i don't understand radar uh please tell us how radar works um so whatever right this is the short flight so that first flight from paraguay to bolivia is like an hour and a half You fly uh, up and over the mountains, and then Al Alto Airport, again, is at 13, around 13,000 feet. It's over 13,000 feet. And there are mountains around the airport that are higher than that, but the flight path is all, you know, marked out on paper. They communicate with air traffic control. They use their instruments, and the air traffic controllers depend on the pilots to tell the air traffic controllers where they are. So it takes a lot of communication. But it's a functioning airport that has flights in and out of it every day, right? It's not, yeah, you know, it's still, it, it's a normal airport. It's just a crazy airport, if you get what I mean. Right. <laughs> so, but they've got it figured out. They got the oxygen ready. They got everything figured out. Um, the flight took off from uh, Paraguay at around 7 p.m. on New Year's Day. Uh, which puts them landing in Bolivia around 8.30, 8.40, right? Uh, It's cloudy and it's dark because it's nighttime, right? Uh, But they're dependent on their instruments anyway. So they're depending on their instruments to tell them where they are. They've got their marked out flight path. They're communicating with air traffic control uh, and they're going to, they're going to do it. This is the second time the captain's going to do this landing, right? We're getting ready to go at around 8:25 p.m., so getting pretty close to the time that they're meant to be landing. Uh they are the pilots are talking to air traffic control in Bolivia and they, you know, request the guidance to land, right? They're coming in to landing they're approximately 30 miles out, which is really only like 10 minutes maybe if that. So they got weather information from air traffic control. They uh, got permission to descend to 18,000 feet Uh, where they were. They were coming through a mountain pass that put them through like in between some really high mountains. So it was safe to descend to 18,000 feet Uh, at around Eight thirty-seven. The pilots confirmed that they were eighteen thousand feet and that they were crossing the pass between mountains. Uh, they were going to land in the next six minutes, maybe. Okay. That's the last anybody ever heard from anyone on oh, the wow. plane. Nothing. Silence. Air traffic controllers call them, call them, call them. Nothing. They wait all night. Obviously, the plane has crashed. Right. The next morning, they the Bolivian government sends out helicopters to search the area, and they locate the wreckage of the plane. On Mount Ilamani, Mount Ilamani is uh, it's it's just the plains just below the summit at around twenty twenty one thousand feet. So when they clearly when they descended to eighteen thousand feet, they'd been in the wrong place and they had crashed into the mountain. But Mount Ilamani was nowhere near their flight path. Mount Ilamani was miles and miles off course and not at all on the flight path while they were looking around they also found out that a local village of uh, mountain folks right called uh, Kohani they said that they had heard an explosion that shook their whole village and that parts of the plane had fallen into their village but mount Co- or the village of Kohani is also nowhere near the flight path and nowhere near mount ilimani so what the heck right what the right. heck so they uh bolivia tries to send a team up to the mountains but they turned around and came back because of the uh, avalanche conditions. The NTSB and the Pilot Association, so the the governments are going to be investigating this in theory, are the Bolivian government, because it's in Bolivia, and American government, because it's an American aircraft, right? American uh, airline, American plane, American pilots. So the NTSB and the Airline Pilot Association, which is also called ALPA, uh, actually flew down to Bolivia and um, to investigate, uh, but at El Albo, at thirteen thousand feet, they're messed up. They come yeah, from DC it's or be whatever. Difficult
1: transition. Yeah, right.
0: they land and they're like, "Oh boy, ooh." So, <laughs> how but do you they survive this? how do you survive this? Right. So they ask Peru. Peru has special. Um, special high altitude helicopters that in theory would be better for trying to go to the site um mm. and so they request these helicopters from Peru and Peru says sure and Bolivia says no we're not no you can't just fly in some other government's like military aircraft into our airspace right. no a very and
1: tumultuous time in, Bolivia ex- in the 80s
0: yes <laughs> right yes yes <laughs> and obviously there's Um, probably there's, I think a a negative thing about everybody, everybody from every country tends to think of other peoples, like other nations, beefs as like quaint or something, you know, like, Oh, silly, you know, Southern Americans fighting with each other. And it's like, okay guys, no, this is real, right? It's yeah, (laughs) like, mm, we had an insurrection like a year ago. So yes, it literally, it's not quaint, but anyway, so no. Finally, Bolivia like actually does say, "You know, fine, sure, bring your whatever they they worked it out, um, but it turns out it didn't even work. Those helicopters can't hover any and it's at twenty thousand feet. The helicopters can't hover at that feet at that height, period, right nothing, right. no helicopter can. Another random company in the u s is like." Oh, we have, like, we've been experimenting. It's a Sikorsky aircraft company. I've never heard of it ever. Maybe some of you guys have. Maybe this is a really cool helicopter. But they had this, like, experimental helicopter that was supposed to be able to hover at very high altitudes. And they were like, this is great. Like, good publicity. We can help out. Great, right? Prove to the American government. Maybe they want to sell the planes to the government. Whatever, right? So they they in order to you can't like fly a helicopter from America to you you can't do it's going to take too long. Right. So a lot of trips, a lot of trips, they they disassembled it and sent it to (sighs) Bolivia on a regular aircraft or on a plane. Right. And they sent mechanics along with the aircraft to Bolivia so they can reassemble it. And the mechanics were so air sick. They were so altitude sick, rather, once they got there. They can't reassemble this helicopter. They're just throwing up nosebleeds, can't think. Like, the altitude is really, really, really making it impossible for non-locals to do anything anything right they just keep hitting this brick wall of we can't climb up because there's avalanches we can't function because we can't think straight and we can't put a helicopter up there because a helicopter can't hover at that altitude period right Right. so they're trying all these different things um they nobody can function or think straight they can't get up there and about uh, around a year later The Bolivian government eventually just said the site is inaccessible and they uh, wrote up a report and said uh, it was a controlled flight into terrain for unknown reasons, which is just it's just saying plane crashed. I don't know what to tell you. Right. Yeah. Like. They they said they marked that, like, the weather was weird. Maybe they had flown off their flight path to avoid weather, but they never communicated that to air traffic control. And this route requires a lot of constant communication between air traffic control. And they definitely would have done, they would, right? Like, if they had diverted in a calm state of mind, right, with nothing wrong, they right. would have likely communicated that. They said that, you know, but whatever. Bolivia basically threw up their hands, said controlled flight into terrain for unknown reasons. Uh, case closed. Episode's over, guys. Thanks for coming. Uh, but <laughs> actually, two days, two days after the crash, two days, one oh, day after they located it, two days after the crash, a Bolivian mountain climber Bernardo Guarachi and his buds, Freddy Ortiz and Juan Ando, climbed up to the wreckage two
1: days afterwards. All right, Bernardo.
0: And and let's talk about Bernardo for just a hot second. Bernardo is a mountain climbing badass. He he was the first Bolivian person to ever climb Mount Everest. He's climbed Mount Everest like seven times. He's doing this in 1985. He climbed Mount Everest like two years ago again, like did like a repeat. Yeah, so like Bernardo
1: okay, Bernardo Bernardo's,
0: okay. yeah he's a great guy so everybody else is like hitting this brick wall and like can't get up there <laughs> Bernardo had gone up there two days after the crash <laughs> two days after the crash <laughs> right so God. when he got there he there there wasn't a lot to see right he he basically reported that there was a it was blanketed in snow he had um uh, like talk to the villagers as well because they had reported like he's just a curious guy right he had talked to the villagers uh gotten information about um from the people in Kohani which again that's about 10 miles away from the crash site and both of these points are if you drew um the fl- what, what should have been the flight path the flight path was going from um from the southeast. To the northwest, Kohani is in the (laughs) southwest, and the crash site is in the northeast. So if you draw that out in your mind, that's an X. They are in exactly the opposite direction. In order for wreckage to fall in Kohani and for the plane to crash in on Mount Ilimani, it had to be going in exactly the wrong direction. And that's what's so bizarre. Like, it makes no sense. Uh, Freddie, Bernardo, and Juan had brought back from the crash site the things that they did locate were some personal items that belonged to the pilots. They'd found the cockpit and brought back personal items. Yeah. So I don't know what those were, but they, I assume, were given back to their families. Yeah. Um, and they had found the original flight plan, and they found uh, smuggled Cayman skins. What? A huge amount of a massive quantity of smuggled Cayman skins? Like, okay. A million dollars worth? Whoa. Of smuggled Cayman skins? What? What they did not find were any bodies. Wait. Any <laughs> blood. Or the black box. What? The tail section was located. They looked. Bernardo's a solid dude, right? He's like, this is a plane crash. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to help out, right? He knows what he's doing. He went and looked. He knows what a a body
1: looks like for sure.
0: Yeah, he's (laughs) a human being on Earth, right? (laughs) He had found the tail section, which was relatively intact, which is where the, the... the black box should be, which for the record, in case anybody isn't aware, black box is actually like bright orange. Um, and it's meant to be like it floats, it has a <laughs> I did transponder. Not know it was bright orange. Oh, oh yeah. It's bright, yeah, it is. It's bright orange. It's meant to be really what? easy to find. I don't know what why they it call it black, a black, black box. box. I think because that's... maybe because of the magnetic tape inside that's black, like that's, the old timey That's like, gonna you know. be my
1: fact next week. I'm gonna
0: find <laughs> that out. The oh, that would be a great fact. That would be so yeah. relevant.
1: Yeah, yeah
0: uh so when bernardo came back he said that the site even though he had gone up there himself he said basically like i am a champion of the mountains it's actually not safe to go there until the dry season right um so that's okay right so maybe the bolivian government said it was inaccessible sure this like prestigious mountain climber had made it up there to the day after they found the plane, right? With a helicopter, but like, he's an expert, right? Uh, So remember we talked about, you know, like the pilots that were on board. So there's a man named Ramon Valdez. Ramon Valdez was a flight engineer who worked for Eastern Airlines. And Ramon Valdez was supposed to be on that plane. He was scheduled to be the flight engineer on that flight and had swapped so he hadn't been on it. So Ramon Valdez is kind of haunted by this, right? And yeah. really wants to do something. So in March, two months or three months, however many months March is after January, who can say? <laughs> um, in March, uh, still firmly in like the snowy season, Ramon Valdez hired some uh, another, a different like mountaineer. To, to bring him up to the mountain, and they Jeez. went up. They went up. Ramon Valdez and Ronnie Aboda, who's another mountaineer, like a local, went up to the crash site and took film of it. Uh, Ramon Valdez, actually, the reason he what he was hoping when he took the film was he wanted to basically... Uh, add to the kind of attention, like the media sensation of it, because he wanted people right. to donate to the families and because mm. he wanted to, like, just energy to go into figuring out what had happened. Because by the time March rolled around, multiple people had said, like, yeah, you can't get up there. And then Ramon just went up got there and was like okay right. like let's let's actually do this guys so he took this film of it and he uh also didn't see any blood also didn't see any bodies just makes no sense couldn't find the black box you know who knows what a f- black box looks like and where it's supposed right. to be a flight engineer right yeah uh didn't find any of that stuff took the film uh you can actually see that film that film exists uh but you couldn't see it in 1985 because when he came back to america his bosses sat him down and were like uh we're gonna make you a deal please don't release that footage and in exchange we will give more money to the families of the victims so like we'll do it like you don't release it don't make us look bad we'll we'll just give them more money and he and we won't i assume i mean they were his current employer so it's not like it's an equal playing field right so he right, didn't right, release right. it at the time. You can see it now, but at the time it wasn't released. Oh,
1: you can? Uh, like like you can watch the now footage? Now you can. Yeah. Now that footage oh my is... God.
0: Yeah. I can put a link to it in the description of this. Uh, yeah, I gotta watch it. Whatever you call the thing we're doing right now. So <laughs> he... So that's another trip, right? Uh, three right. months after the crash. In July... Yeah. In July of 1985, seven months, is that right? After the crash, right? Judith Kelly, a nice regular lady, an American lady who's the widow of one of the passengers, she wanted to go up to the crash site. So she oh came God. and she hired our boy Bernardo to bring her up <laughs> to the site. He did. They went all up right. together. Judith and, and Bernardo went up <laughs> to the site. Uh, still no black box, still no bodies. Um, but by all accounts, this was a. Um, this was like a personal thing for her, right? She went there for her own sure, closure. Yeah. Um, so it's not clear to me how hard they looked at that point, but they did. Did not find. And uh, she came back to the U.S. That was, again, it makes a little spark in the news. She begs the NTSB, like, hey, you can get up there. It can be done. It's not inaccessible. Can you please go up there and research it? And so finally, in October of 1985, 10 months after the crash, the NTSB sent an expedition. It was organized. So it's, it's an NTSB expedition organized by the Bolivian government, facilitated by the Bolivian Red Cross. And I know that sounds like weirdly technical, but it'll make okay. sense. So yeah. there were different people on uh, this expedition. So we have our boy Bernardo, A+, plus, of course, Uh, And we've got some NTSB investigators and some uh, diplomats, actually. And I guess they were like, at this point, they're like, it's October. All these other people have gone up there. If our girl Judy can go up there, surely we can go up (laughs) there, right? (laughs) So we've got Bernardo, Greg, Alan, Mark, Al, Jim, Baker, and Royce, right? So... Jim Baker. Why do I know
1: the name Jim Baker?
0: Because you know about uh, bisexual icon Jim Baker from PTL in like the 80s, but he's a different guy. Okay. So the budget for this trip was $600. Total? Total, which I know like... $600 Six hundred dollars was Ugh. probably went a long way in Bolivia. No, it's not a lot of money. That is not a normal it's not thing. A lot of money. It's not a Even normal in, 80s, NPSB in budget. No, it's right. not a normal budget. Okay. No. Everything else, including their climbing equipment, they had to pay for themselves. Which is just why? Why? why?
1: Why what is the NTSB's deal in this situation? Like, why, are what they, is the why did it
0: take them so long? Let's... Mm, we're going to talk about it. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> so <laughs> the Red Cross, the way the Red Cross was facilitating this is they were supposed to set up base camps along the route, right? So there's base camp one at 17,000 feet, base camp two at 20,000 feet. And base camp two is where you, they would like go to the site, come back to base camp two, if that makes sense, right? So there's only two campsites on the way up, right? So that's what they're supposed to do. On the first day, right? So the first day of the expedition, all the other expeditions went fine. They went fine, right? right? The first day of the expedition, they get to 17,000 feet no base camp the red cross had oh. sent everything to base camp 2 nothing Great. was at base camp 1 they had to Wonderful. use their body heat to warm up like chicken soup as much as they could in order to uh like just have something to eat there's no heater there's no nothing uh the red cross they, like, called the Red Cross or radioed them or whatever. And the Red Cross, they were like, we need supplies. Hey, there's no supplies there. So the Red Cross showed up hours after they had been, like, just sitting there at 17,000 feet in the dark, in the cold. And they brought them two tents and nothing
1: else. Oh, my God. What? Bernardo what? is, like, Mr. Mount Everest man. And even Bernardo is probably like, what the fuck, guys? Like, exactly. This is, this no, is seriously. Some bullshit.
0: Right. So while they're sitting there eating their cold chicken soup and freezing, Al, poor Al, pulmonary edema. He or edema, however you say it. He can't breathe sick. They give him oxygen. He's not good. Uh, He and our boy Jim Baker just climb back down. They can't. They just it's too much. Right. Which, again, (laughs) I get it. I don't know why Jim Baker. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, The next morning they head out this is the day they're going to get to base camp, too. And then the third day they're hoping they're going to get to see the, the thing. Roy falls into a crevasse, which could okay. have been this is we're back in the Andes, guys. Everybody remembers our and our our lads in the Andes. That's these, the same mountain range. Right. So Roy falls into a crevasse, which could have been death falling into a crevasse. All the time is just literally the icy earth swallowing you whole. Somehow didn't happen. He got injured, but he was able to get back out of it. So they were able to pull him back out. Uh, He but he's not he's injured. Uh, And Mark got pulmonary edema too. So they finally arrive at the site. Right. And they'd started with seven people, but only three of the seven people they started with were physically capable of doing anything once they got there. Right. So so the three of them, one of them being Bernardo, uh, our boy, our our hero. Right. He they like poke around and they found the first ever trace of blood that had ever been found. Oh, wow. And it was a tiny stain of blood on the first officer's um, seat belt. Oh, wow. And that was it. That was it. Nothing else. No other human remains. No other anything. Uh, Greg found the aft stairwell. Now, the aft stairwell is where, like, there should be a black box in the aft stairwell of this aircraft, as it should have been. Like, Once they found that, That should have been it. They should have been able to find the black box. Not there.
1: Not there. What the hell? They have to descend. It's not like anyone's going up there. Like, who the hell is up there that they'd be... Right.
0: Right. Right. So they have to descend. Uh, Two of them were able to go all the way down on the same day. They just were like, nope, out of here. And they went, foop, foop, all the way down. Right? And uh, the others were... Again, crazy sick and like altitude sick, injured, horrible mess, can't breathe on oxygen. They, the two that got down there, like asked the Red Cross, like, hey, please, like, you have to bring them supplies up there. Uh, the Red Cross showed up with two gallons of Kool-Aid. Okay. And clothes.
1: Go get out of here, Red Cross. Just go. get out of
0: here. I know the Red Cross is great. I don't know what was going on here, but like (sighs) not doing what they're supposed to be doing. So this cursed trip comes to an end. And then the NTSB was just like done. Fuck this. The NTSB was out. And a couple months later, we're back to where we were before. They released their report saying controlled flight into terrain for who knows what reason
1: just for unknown reasons with no bodies and no black box mysteriously totally
0: makes no sense at all
1: totally normal just to not have that stuff
0: no it makes no sense so what's going on right what is going on so uh here's some little pieces of information eastern airlines uh remember those cayman skins yeah so eastern airlines like systematically categorically took bribes in south america to ship contraband to ship weed cocaine Uh obviously animal skins like uh, illegal animal trafficking uh the uh a pilot who worked for eastern airlines Had actually gone to the FBI, tried to go like secretly to the FBI, a different pilot, you know, not anybody involved with this. But he had gone to the FBI to say like, hey, this is like a well-oiled machine. And I'm going to say right now, this still happens and in everywhere. And if you look it up, a version of this happened with Delta like eight years ago where they were smuggling guns (laughs) through Atlanta because, yeah, because checked luggage and cargo It's just really easy for people on the ramp to throw an extra bag in there. Right. So and I'm sure it was that much easier if you're bribing everybody and just greasing the wheels. Oh, yeah. So uh, Eastern. So the pilot had gone to the FBI and explained basically like this just is systematically all they do is they bribe the airline somebody shows up with a bunch of boxes that we load onto the plane. And then when those, that cargo is offloaded in America, they just set it to the side. Somebody else comes and picks it up. Right. Easy peasy. Jeez. Uh, but
1: so are, that, how, how do they like figure out the weight and stuff distribution on the plane now? Cause isn't that like the, that's the whole thing.
0: Oh yeah. No, I'm so sure. I, that I think guys. that they just treated it like regular cargo and like f- they, I'm sure that they took the weight down and like the the um, placement on board the aircraft, but they hmm. didn't um, like, they probably just like lied about whose luggage it was or whatever. However, yeah. they fibbed it on the paperwork. Um, right. But the, oh, the, or again on the paperwork, it says one thing, but the pilots know the weight is different it would be another thing. You know what I mean? But Right, uh, That pilot who had gone to the FBI, Eastern Airlines hired people to follow him and Holy then shit. fired him.
1: Holy shit. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. So no JetBlue. <laughs> They're no JetBlue. They're um, no JetBlue. So uh, in, um, there's other little things like an Amer- the American ambassador to Bolivia and his wife were supposed to be on that plane. The ambassador had not gone at the last second and oh. the his wife had and she oh had no. died. I know. I know. So there's like all this weird stuff. Right. Like if somebody and again, it's worth just remembering that um, Pablo Escobar blew up an Avianca plane. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the, nothing was off limits for a long time. Right. Right. So some people, Eastern Airlines is getting if somebody's sending a message, whatever. Right. So there's a lot of people who are like, this is all too weird, too creepy, too, too much for this to. A lot of people just felt like there's just too much weirdness around this for it to be a normal crash. Right? Right. But that was pretty much it. It was just a weird flight that nobody had ever, like, figured out controlled flight into terrain for unknown reasons in weird weather, right? That was pretty much it. Um, there were little things, like, not little things, but, uh, like, factors that were also considered. Like, there was an Omega navigation system, is what it was called, on these aircraft, which had been shown to potentially be off by up to four miles. and. Yeah. Which still wouldn't, I mean, they were more than four miles off course. Like there were things like that that people kind of pitched, but at the end of the day, they just threw their hands up. Can't, it's inaccessible. (laughs) A bunch of people have gone there, but it's inaccessible. And we can't handle the temperature, the altitude, and controlled flight into terrain for unknown reasons. So in 2016, Dan and Isaac. Two buds are uh looking through a wikipedia list of unrecovered black boxes which is some relatable content like that is yeah like yeah yes that's what i that's also what i was doing in 2016 right like yes Yes. yeah (laughs) so they fell down the rabbit hole with flight 980 right they just like got really into it and they are like mountain climber bros I guess I don't know whatever they are into yeah. that and so they just kind of like got like got really interested intensely interested in trying to figure this out and they were like clearly you can go up there like it's cle- like right. clearly you can right and they right. also so they started to investigate it just between the two of them and they found out that that around that same time um Thanks global warming, some of the wreckage had started to the the as the permafrost, the glacier that was on the that, um, not permafrost, but the glacier that was on Mount Illamani had started to melt, some oh, of the God. wreckage had started to slide down the mountain. Right. So they reached out to Bernardo because they're like, he's the guy. If you want to get up there, clearly he's your guy, right?
1: God, how many uh, years later? Bernardo's still freaking climbing.
0: Exactly, champion, Jeez, champion. Literally thirty years later, right? So they get a hold of Bernardo, <laughs> and Bernardo just like let's loose. Bernardo says that Royce Fitch, the U.S. diplomat, the guy who had gone with him on that cursed expedition had been the person who had called him immediately after the crash to tell Bernardo to go up to the plane. So he didn't just do that for funsies because he's a good guy. He is a good guy. But he did it because the U.S. diplomat had asked him to do it. So he had gone up there and, again, got up there no problem, looked at the stuff, looked around. But on his way back, he saw footprints... Because somebody had followed him up there. And when he got, when Bernardo got all the way down to the bottom of the mountain, he was detained, interrogated, searched, and threatened and ordered to make that statement that the site is inaccessible.
1: You can't go up there. Oh my God, Bernardo. Bernardo. So. Poor Bernardo. He's just trying to climb things.
0: He just wants to climb things. He's so good at it. Like, so. Isaac and Dan and Bernardo uh, got together and went to Mount Ilimani and went up. Specifically, they wanted to go to a site 3,000 feet below the um, crash site where people had reported seeing some of the wreckage slide down. And they documented a huge amount of wreckage, a huge amount of wreckage. And the first human remains that had ever been found, they they did find some pieces of, of human remains. And their photos are also available. They called their thing uh, Operation Thanopa. So if you look mm. Operation Thanopa up, that's where you can find a lot of their pictures and their documentation. Yeah. So they they found a lot of wreckage. They were able to document some human remains and oh my gosh they found pieces of the black box they found oh my gosh and they found like like broken pieces of the outer casing that orange casing and they found some black magnetic tape like from inside the black box and they did what all of us are doing right now went like oh my gosh oh my gosh we did it right. and they put it in their pocket and flew back to america and that a crime. <laughs> you can't <Yeah>. do that. <laughs> you can't, it's not archaeology. This didn't happen 4,000 years ago. You can't do that. Right. So right. they did that, and the Bolivian government obviously found out, and they had to like argue basically they like negotiated argued fought whatever you want to say with the bolivian government for a year so for a year they can't look at the tape they can't listen to the tape they can't do anything right so they go back and forth to the bolivian government finally the bolivian government goes fine fine go ahead and listen to it and they listen to it and mariah it is 18 minutes of the tv show i spy
1: no fucking way
0: oh my gosh literally i'm getting mad again just thinking about it because i cannot imagine the frustration and just disappointment and like oh and also the what the heck what the heck why doesn't anything make sense why doesn't right. anything make any sense and like why did somebody have a tape of i spy on the plane and what is going
1: on like right. what? what so it was just like a like a like a Like a recording of the show?
0: Yeah, like somebody had a tape on board the plane of I Spy, of this, this TV show.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Yeah. So, but what is weird... Is that they found pieces of the black box, of the outer casing, right. which right. if you were a person who climbed up there to destroy the black box or to steal the black box, so you smashed it and then whatever, as a joke, you leave your eye spy tape. I don't know, right? right? Whatever happened. So they did not successfully find anything as it turns out. Oh, besides. I mean, obviously they did find some they found. I don't want to like take away from what they found, but not the black box.
1: Right. I mean, that's, yeah. So,
0: so what happened, guys? What happened? Weather, weird navigation system, did somebody blow up the plane and that, or was there some catastrophic depressurization? Was there something, which I mean, would be totally, it's totally possible that, to be clear, it doesn't have to be, nobody had to set out to crash that plane. For it to right, be sketchy, right, right, right. right? Like if there was some kind of catastrophic depressurization or an engine blew up or something. So some wreckage fell on uh, the village of Kohani. If they had gotten disoriented because it depressurized and they didn't realize if um, they were whatever. Like there are things that could have happened and then people wanted to cover it up or cover up whatever the problem was because again there's like eastern airlines doesn't have to do anything now like they don't have to change right. anything because they didn't say like hey your aircraft is are all broken or whatever you know what i mean they don't have right to, it's not a sensor any, or
1: something they can point to
0: yeah they don't get any recommendations from the ntsb on things they have to change right
1: so i just don't, i'm not comfortable with how like passive they're being on this whole thing no like it's suspicious, right? It's so suspicious.
0: It's so suspicious. Yeah. And I don't know if it's like their soul got crushed when they went down there and got sick, like the first week. <laughs> right. If that just because I I know what that's like, that, right? Like,
1: right. Send somebody else. But it took them how long till October to do that? It just exactly. that seems just seems very weird.
0: And surely somebody works for the NTSB and like lives in Denver, right? Right. Right. Like, there are investigators and engineers who just live in the mountainous parts of America.
1: Yeah. I, I like, don't know. Seems suspicious. Yeah.
0: Oh, it's crazy suspicious. It's insanely yeah. suspicious. And I don't want to like, you know, 29 people died. And there's another yeah. weird, there's a really weird part of this that um I looked for this and I... It's funny because I can imagine our boy, if you're listening to this, dear, dear, beloved Tim. I, if I was, I, I he's in my head, be, hey, Tim, because, because I think his question would be, what parts of the plane fell on the village? That's yes. really relevant data. Because they don't yes. like NTSB people don't show up and go, like, parts of the plane. That's, you know, like, it's not generic. What parts of the exactly. plane fell on the village? Exactly what parts? They, right. they never recovered or, like, whatever. That's just gone. That information is just obliterated, lost to time. I don't know if somebody just went to that village and was like, anybody got a piece of it still? Because that could help explain what happened, right? If it's parts of the engine and, you know, an engine exploded, maybe that's what happened. If it's part of, you know, like some other part of the plane, that could, like... They could have never gone to the the crash site, just found what pieces fell yeah. on the, the, the in on Kohani, and that could have given us a much clearer picture of this, but that right. just doesn't exist, and that is so bizarre it's so yeah. bizarre
1: it's very very bizarre I don't know but yeah. it also seems bizarre that there would be this like multi I don't know, like, like multi-organizational scheme on a plane that had like 29 people or whatever. Like, it just seems, it seems like too far-fetched to be everybody's involved, but like also unrealistic that they're not involved. Like, I don't know, it's very bizarre.
0: So I can imagine a scenario where, let's say it's, let's say it is... The uh, I'm sure that okay, I'm sure like we could like construct different shapes of this, right because if if just the i I do not know this is just I'm being super blunt, like I truly literally don't know what the relationship was between the Bolivian government and like organizations that would smuggle. Drugs or illicit materials. I just have no knowledge of that. Right. So I don't know if and and please, this is not intended as an insult at all. Right. I just truly do not know. So if if at this time the Bolivian government was intertwined with um, in some way organizations that smuggle illicit materials. Right. Then that just that combination, if they wanted to cover. But I don't know why they would care. Like Pablo Escobar right, was just like, I, mean. I blew up that plane. I blew up that right. plane. Fight me. That's what I mean. Like, it's
1: like being too secretive to be like drugs or like human skins or, you know. Right. I don't know. Maybe we're just like desensitized to all that stuff at this point. And is yeah. I don't know. It's very weird.
0: It's very, very weird. And again, I think that probably people like people Bolivian people are probably the ones who were like alive at that time are probably the ones who actually have the answer, right? Like in some way yeah. or the other. And I think that in all likelihood, the either failure to ask them or some suppression of whatever information they had, whichever it yeah. is, is probably a huge, or is, is undoubtedly a huge part of the reason why we don't have that. Either nobody right. like asked or people said like, shut up. And they did, like right. with Bernardo, I mean that did happen to him. And he doesn't know who who interrogated him. Like he doesn't mm. he doesn't know if it was right. like he he's not said what um group interrogated him and threatened him. Gotcha. Right. So okay. right. That's weird. That's another yeah. weird level.
1: There's, well and yeah. like he's I would imagine a pretty well known guy. And yeah. If he is like, I don't know, hush hush about it. (laughs) Yeah. For all those years initially.
0: I imagine that he must have been a young man at the time. Yeah. Um, For him to be climbing Mount Everest like last year. (laughs) Right.
1: But right. I would think. I don't know. God, I just like, I can't get over that. I mean, I I think. If I genuinely if that was my only goal in life was to climb Mount Everest one time, <laughs> I could probably do it. But that would like that would be my only thing that I would do for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everything would go into that. But several times I just I'm not that type of person.
0: No. Just can't no. be. And like, honestly, I, the thing about Mount Everest that makes me feel like no way is that those pictures of people like in line to like get to the top and yeah. I hate waiting in line and being behind slow people. So just that I'd be like, I hate this mountain. I hate these people like that. I couldn't handle But I would, I love the idea of like chilling at base camp, like the first base yeah. camp on Mount Everest, which is just yeah. like a little village of people like that yeah. sounds like a blast. I, that's just a tent city. <laughs> and I love a good tent city. Right. So, but like, no, for what, for what? So, I don't what? know. Yeah. No. And I don't know the, the it just doesn't
1: it just says so little interest,
0: yeah, and don't the locals find it like deeply disrespectful? I think so Kinda like that I, I don't love so. that
1: yeah, I don't love that, so no I mean i I don't yeah, yeah, I don't know anything about it, to be honest, but I do find stories about
0: disasters on Mount Everest almost as interesting as plain disasters, yeah, though, so. Maybe on the second the second podcast, if I ever release any of them, I've like recorded multiple episodes of the second podcast, and I'm just like sitting on them. But it'll it'll happen, guys. I swear. But um, (laughs) that's that's what we know. I don't want to say it's all we know because I'm sure that somebody's done more research than I have and knows more, (laughs) right? But but that's that's all we at the podcast know. That's all the two of us know. (laughs) Yes. Wow. It's crazy. It's crazy.
1: That is wild. No, that is that is very wild. And I just like, I don't know. I it seems very fishy. It just seems very, very, very fishy that nobody. It seems like something that could be gotten to the bottom of like they still haven't found any bodies. They still haven't found the black box. Nothing.
0: They've only the they've the the two like our boys with the Wikipedia article found some human remains and found the casing of the black box. But that's not a black box. Shouldn't just randomly degrade, right? It's meant to survive a crash and the tail section and aft stairwell were intact. So the black box Mm. theoretically should not have been smashed. They are tough, right? Right. Unlike the black boxes, crashed into 9-11 I should just cut this but I just get mad every time someone's like we never found the black boxes from the question of the twin towers of course we didn't oh my god right. <laughs> like they're like, not that right. tough <laughs> right. but they're tough enough to have survived this right so yeah. they should have been intact but um yeah so that's 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 all I personally know about flight 980 and I also know that 9-11 was an outside job and that's it that's the extent of my knowledge yes yeah
1: (laughs) that's that wow that's wild Uh,
0: yeah i don't know it still
1: seems fishy
0: so fishy well what's weird is that so many people like people not finding out what happened kind of does have some benefits for multiple groups you know but it's yeah. not clear what the benefits are, why. Right. Or why it's still being protected. Like, if Eastern Airlines is gone, like, if somebody was protecting them, why would you still do that? Like, they they don't exist anymore. Right. If, I don't know. I don't know enough about the history of Bolivia to go into any detail on that, but. Yeah. But. Jeez. Jeez. Yeah. That's so that's wild. that. Yeah. Do you um, do you have a fact today?
1: I do. It's um, I had someone in my life. I won't specify who uh, I know that had a potential malaria scare this past week. Oh, and um, I was like, holy shit, malaria. I forgot, like totally forgot that was even a thing. I mean, it used to be like, I don't know. It used to be such at the forefront of my mind all the time.
0: Yeah. From
1: for, you know, whatever reasons, from like teens to I don't know, like five or six years ago. We spent a lot of time. And I just totally forgot. Yeah. Yeah. I just like totally forgot. And um the creature that kills the most people every year is the mosquito. Oh, because of malaria. Yeah. That's the fact. It's not sharks or I don't know snakes glorious, or whatever everyone else is glorious scared of. Lions, it's, yeah, yeah, right. It's the mosquito. Yeah, it kills most people every year. It's crazy. Thankfully, they were negative, but the doctor had to test twice. So that's yeah. Like, imagine that's, having them. Yeah, it's crazy. No,
0: that have you ever like looked into that? Um, be, the some researchers have basically made uh um sterile mosquitoes yes and yep. yeah if they release them then in theory it will like eliminate yeah, mosquitoes yeah. and that's like a complex thing because you're messing with the food chain yes but also m- mosquitoes kill people right. and are horrible
1: <laughs> yeah they um, are horrible little creatures but, right
0: uh genetics are very interesting and yeah. and i don't know what happened to flight 980 and that is no. all i can say
1: yeah. Yeah. Insane. So
0: thank you, Mariah. Thank you so thank much. Thank you, Casey.
1: That's that's a great story. Uh, I hope one day we do get the black box. I don't think we will, but
0: I know. I know. It's like maybe it it's doesn't... just
1: buried super deep in the snow.
0: Could be. Could be. Or I mean, I or somebody like kept it for leverage. That's the reason stuff like this gets saved versus destroyed. Right. If right, it was right, right. like intentionally taken then in all likelihood the most sensible thing to do would be to destroy it. But yeah. the kind of people who get involved in things like that are more likely to be like, I'm going to keep this in case I need it later, and then yeah. say they destroyed it. And I feel like that's the way we would find it, is if someone's like on their deathbed and they're like, I hate this random person from 30 years yeah. ago, and here's right. bad something that makes them look bad or whatever. I don't know. But yeah yeah um dear friends next week we're gonna have our episode that was the collaboration with bath and body parts um so that'll be out next week definitely check them out ahead of time yes their podcast love their uh they are very dedicated to research and so yes they are very good more very good very good it's not just a flyover it's (laughs) it's the the right in there. the depths not just a the depths. flyover
1: over yeah oh
0: what a fun pun for that or whatever it is joke i don't know it's a great it reference i think it's a pun is it a pun <laughs> who can say who can say well if there's one thing y'all can walk away from this episode knowing it's that we don't know a lot so, <laughs> so. <laughs> exactly uh, uh, all right i love you mariah love you casey thanks for telling that story Thank you for listening and yeah. love all you guys. See you Always. next week. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. We so hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you notice anything that we got wrong or you want to send us a correction or Get in touch with us for any reason at all. You can email us at thepodcrashed at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok. Um, We're really excited about the collaboration that uh, we did with Bath and Body Parts. Be sure to check them out. Um, Love their show. I suspect that most of the people who listen to um, our show are probably also into true crime. Um, So I'm sure you'll enjoy their meticulously researched, um, very respectful, very just tasteful, insightful show. So be sure to check them out. All right. See you next week. Thanks for listening.